0: Hey, welcome to Learning to Talk. My name is Matt. I'm here as always with my friends Zach and Cameron. AKA Camera Guy Cam. Producer camera cam. Cameraman Cam. Producer Extraordinaire.
1: How could you possibly get that wrong? <laughs> this guy.
0: Listen, camera guy, cameraman, neither are gender inclusive. But and one I feel <laughs> cameraman cam. That doesn't rhyme. Sure it does.
1: It no. Rhymes better than camera guy cam. <laughs> I'll give you that camera guy camera. We've already talked about this for too long. Just camera person cam. Tell us why we're here.
0: (laughs) So uh, today's episode, I think, is a pretty special episode. Our very first ever guest on the podcast and uh, just transparency. We already recorded. We recorded uh, a few days ago with a a man by the name of Kelvin Walker. Kelvin is part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He serves as a district superintendent in the New York City area. He serves as the vice president of the alliance, this global denomination. Well, he's vice president of the American Expression of the Alliance. Pretty big deal. He's been a pastor, a a college chaplain, an associate pastor, worship leader. And uh, we had a really great conversation with him last week. Zach missed it. I know. I really was kind of bummed. Yeah, we were bummed you weren't there either. But we uh, we had enough microphones because you weren't here. Right. That and we
1: we don't have four chairs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when that day comes, it's gonna be an issue.
0: Yeah. But we had to, we got a really insightful conversation with Kelvin, just hearing his story about why he's in ministry, who he is, the call of God. He talked about things like vision and failure and growing. And uh, I'm just excited to share that conversation with you guys. And uh, we hope you enjoy our, our time, our conversation with Kelvin Walker. Kelvin, let me start with this question. Um, what are you doing now? Like, what are all your titles and positions and places that you find yourself in ministry? Oh, okay.
2: I am uh, the district superintendent of the Metropolitan District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Simply put, I'm sort of like the bishop of all the Alliance churches in that district. And I've been doing, I just finished, I'm finishing up my third year of doing that and uh, moving into my fourth year and, We'll see after the fourth year if I get reelected for another four years. So <laughs> yeah. doing that, I, um, I serve on the board of directors for the Alliance, uh, which has, which has been really interesting and good. I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, I was also elected as the corporate VP, corporate vice president for the Alliance. And, uh, that, uh, that is, uh, I'm learning a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so before before I ask the big question for the episode, you're corporate vice president, metro district. You've been a pastor. Yeah. You've been a professor.
2: Yeah. Still every once in a while yeah. teach a course
0: at, at, at our seminary. How do you juggle board of I mean, how do you juggle your time and your just your mind as you're switching roles, going from... This meeting to that meeting or,
2: you know, um, juggling my mind is becoming more difficult because uh, I have to I have to remember that uh, whatever whatever function I'm in at that moment. That's what I give my full attention to. And that's what I'm I'll use this word loyal to. You know and yet at the same time you've got all of these other things and you go well, okay so that that decision has implications here you know and it has implications here and how do I fully participate in this decision knowing all of these implications mm. it, it, you know it, it's it's Takes a lot of takes a lot of prayer. It's a um, it's a dance that I have to keep playing. Um, and to be quite honest, uh, I've got some spiritual directors and a counselor that, yeah. <laughs> that I talk with because it, 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 I need it. Otherwise, I can't keep all of it straight. You know, as far as time, I'm grateful for um, we have a, a director of administration in our office. And uh, she is phenomenal. Like she'll say, "Yeah, you 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 can't say yes to that because we, you got to be here." If I didn't have that, uh, I'd I'd make a mess. I just had <laughs> finally finally I'm finally getting to the point where I where I say, "Listen, call the office, talk to Becky. She'll tell you whether or not I'm available." That's the only way I can do it, you know. Uh, and uh, and then learning that when my wife says. Hey, we haven't gone on a date in a while. That means I've been managing my time and Becky has it. <laughs> <So.
0: laughs> right. oh, awesome. Well, we're grateful to have you here, Kelvin. Um, so let me ask you the question. Why are you in ministry?
2: I know it seems like the cheesy answer, but the reality is I'm in ministry because of the call of God. My dad was a pastor. I, uh, I can't say that I hated being in church growing up because I I really enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy the pressure that others put on me because I was a pastor's son. You know, I didn't get pressure from my parents. You know, we were just their kids. Um, But, you know, you... (laughs) you 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 do something at church and you're running around with the deacon's son and that's okay that he's done this but you can't do this because you you're the pastor's kid so i did not want that for my my own kids but i couldn't deny a clear call um, i you know I, I came to christ when i was 17 um, and 3 months after uh, i was praying Uh, since God asked me, do you remember when, and took me back to a time when I was nine years old, an evangelist had come to our church. He preached from the book of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine. Uh, I have it right here on my arm just as a reminder of those days when those days come where I say, I'm going to go sell insurance. I have to look at this, you know, (laughs) um, the verse says, then I said, I would not make mention of him or speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. I remember asking my dad, "Where? show me that in the Bible again. And I memorized it. And so, you know, when, when God asked me, do you, do you remember when? And my answer was, yeah, of course I remember when I memorized a verse. And this was his response. I was drawing you even then. Now, I know not, not everybody has that kind of experience or encounter when it comes to a call. To, to ministry. But it was at that moment that I knew that no matter what I tried to do, this was God's call on my life. And I did try. I mean, you know, I went to, I went to school and because pastoral ministries was not considered a liberal arts major, I would lose a lot of financial aid. So I thought, well, I enjoy music. I'll be a music major. Look, I'm out. I can, you know, I'll do only to find out that, that God was preparing me to, be a worship pastor, <laughs> you know, all of those, I just, I just looked at so many things and going, everything I tried not to, there was, I had to admit there was a passion burning in me that I could not ignore. And so that's, that's why I'm in ministry. And I, you know, like I said, I, I look at that verse on my arm and on those days where I think, yeah, I might want to do something else. I can't deny that call. Mm. I can't deny that passion. And um can't I can't deny the fact that I enjoy what I do. Even on my worst days.
0: As you were sort of realizing that call and then in the the time after, you know, that moment where God said I was drawing you even then, did you ever feel or bump up against frustrations as you tried to do did you ever try to do something else? And oh, I'm not succeeding in it or, or getting in it and feeling frustrated only to realize, oh, maybe that's the Lord. Yeah. Keeping oh, me from that.
2: Yeah. Like I said, I when I became a music major, um, I thought, well, I'll go into education. So, you know, started studying music ed. Only to realize, you know. I enjoy teaching. I'm just not good in a classroom with music. (laughs) Um, I thought, you know, I I really enjoy arranging. So I thought maybe I'll, I'll go that, that route, composition and arranging. The problem is um, most of what I do, I've done by ear, I've learned by ear. And so if I'm going to be an arranger, I need to be able to read the music well. I need to be able to put scores together. You know, all So it seemed like everything I wanted to do or things that I tried, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. Um, but doors kept opening on the ministry end of things. And so I think it was about my junior year in college where I just thought, Either I'm going down this path or I'm just going to keep trying at a whole bunch of things. And again, doors started to open and it was pretty clear. This is where God was leading.
1: Can I go? Yeah. I hate. To, okay. <laughs> I hate to take a jump, but I want to take a jump. Okay. So you say you grew up in the church as a pastor's kid. Yeah. And then you mentioned that you started following the Lord at 17. Yeah. Is that what I heard? So, what did your childhood look like? First, I, I'm curious because I know you just you mentioned before the podcast uh, currently live in New Jersey, but New York City. Yeah, New York City guy. Okay, where did you grow up? Okay, um, and what did your childhood look like? Growing up in the church, but not having that like relationship yet. Got it.
2: Okay, so that's a good question. Uh, I grew up on Long Island. So very, I was near the city, you know, we've lived in the Bronx since, you know? Um, And so I think I'll decide, I would describe it this way. I made a, what I would believe was a genuine profession of faith when I was seven years old where I, you know, professed, yes, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I want him to be my savior. Uh, And, made the walk down to the front of the church shortly after got baptized. So I would say that's when I made my profession of faith. As far as, you know, growing up, you know, I, there, there are nine of us. So we we're a big family, um, lots of fun. We became each other's friends. We also became each other's enemies, you know, all, all of those things. Um, it was, I enjoyed it. I, I was always conscious of the fact that my dad was a pastor. Again, not because he and my mom put that pressure on me, but everyone knew me as Oscar Walker's son, you know, Reverend Walker's son. And so there was a, there was a part of me that felt like I couldn't get away from that. No matter how I tried to just do my own thing, carve out my own path, I was always Oscar Walker's son. And on the on the one hand, I mean, I love my dad, so that was uh, that 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 didn't bother me. But it bothered me that that was my identity. And so I, I don't I don't know that I was rebellious, if you will, outwardly, but inwardly I was that, there was always that struggle. And it was at 17, um, and I still remember it. it was it was three days after my 17th birthday. Outwardly, I looked. Fine, everything was good, but inwardly there was an emptiness that was just eating at me. and uh, I don't know that I would have actually done it, but there were days where I contemplated, hey, if this is what if this is this if this emptiness is all that I have, why am I here? And it was my Sunday school teacher, she was the superintendent of Sunday schools, who took me out. We sat at a a restaurant in New York um, over a cup of coffee. And she just said, you you know why you have this emptiness. You've heard this all of your life. When are you going to finally just say, okay, Jesus, I surrender. That night, sitting in this restaurant over a cup of coffee, Is when I said, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I would love to say that everything switched, you know, right away. No, there was a, there was a, there was a pretty long process of just working through identity issues. Um, you know, being, being firm in who I am just as Kelvin, uh, being firm in who I am in Christ. So, you know, it was a journey, but, uh, it was that, it was that night that, that, That made the difference. And I don't think I would have been able to clearly hear God's voice three months later had that not happened. Had I not just said, okay, I know the answer to this emptiness. I'm fighting you. (laughs) Uh, But I don't want to fight anymore. Had that not happened, I don't know that I would have been. Uh, clear in a walk with him, so that I would have been able to to know it was his voice.
0: To bring in uh, some alliance <coughs> theology, <laughs> <laughs> we talk. Cam, maybe you know this. I don't know, but I don't. I don't know, <laughs> and I don't even know if it's the proper term anymore. Did we might have voted on this like at council, but but crisis yes, sanctification? was by yeah, Christ. Yeah. I think
2: that was. Yeah, I think that was my crisis experience.
0: So if you're listening and you're like, what is crisis? It's... I I don't know, Kelvin, if I'm going to explain it right. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. Don't tell John. (laughs) Uh, He's the president of the Alliance. But uh, it's sort of uh, that moment when it's rubber meets the road in your faith, right? You professed faith at a younger age and then, you know, you... In those early years of believing, it's always tumultuous. But there there comes this point where you have to say, am I in or out? Is this real or not? Yeah. And is my life going to really change because of it? And I've gone through that. Yep. And it's amazing. You know, I I went to seminary and studied theology. And you talk about these things, sanctification and crisis sanctification and all that. But how real that is yeah. in people's stories. I mean, it's almost universal with people who believe that there's there's always this point along the way after having believed where you come to this moment of saying, am I in or out?
2: Right. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. I, you know, I didn't have language for it until I came into the, this, to the Alliance. I grew up in what I call a Baptist, church. We were Baptists <laughs> theologically, but we worshiped like Pentecostals. And so um, I didn't have language for it. And I still remember going through my licensing and there was a guy on that committee who just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And I didn't know what he was trying to get at. Finally, somebody else say, well, you're saying that was your crisis experience. I went, yeah, that was my crisis experience. of But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that was the point at which the rubber met the road for me. And either I'm fully in mm-hmm. or I'm done. Be honest with you. Um, and that's why I go to set when people ask, well, when did you come to faith in Christ? I go to that. I go to age 17 first, because while I made a profession here and I, and I firmly believe that profession was genuine and it was real. Jesus didn't fully become real to me until
1: 17.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make a question jump unless you have a follow up to that.
1: No, that's great. I just, I love the context.
0: Yeah. Um, so let me jump what was your first I'll call it vocational ministry Hmm. position and how did that happen?
2: Yeah. Okay. I uh, served as uh, the assistant pastor for a church in Girard, Pennsylvania, as far north and as far west in Pennsylvania as you can get before you cross over either into New York state or Ohio, right there in that corner, right outside of Erie. Um, I got there because of three people: the district superintendent in Western Pennsylvania, the church planning director, and the senior pastor of the Gerard Alliance Church. I, you know, I told you doors started opening for me to realize, yeah, ministry is where I'm headed. But they were, you know, here I'm coming to the end of my senior year, and every door I tried to walk through to get a job. Was closing, and these three men got their heads together and said, uh, "We want him in the alliance. How are we going to do this?" So they put together a part-time position for me at that church, and a part-time thing working with the district to plant a church in downtown Erie, and that's how I got into ministry. And that's how I got into ministry in the alliance. Now the church plant. Never came through. I realized I love watching churches get planted. I'm not a church planner, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when we realized that about six to eight months in, that church opened the door for me to come on full time by make, combining some things. And they invested in me for six years. Six years. Six years.
0: That's a lot of patience on their part, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because in that six year period, there was a six month period where I actually left and went to another church. And I won't mention where
0: Uh, I (laughs) know, but it was
2: one of those situations where I believe the Lord was saying to me, "Okay, you want it your way. I'll let you try it your way. And I left after three years for all the wrong reasons. And that six month period at the other place, about five months in, I realized, my wife and I realized, we're just, this is, this is not working. And we got to do something. Interestingly enough, that senior pastor at that church, his name's Clyde Davis. I still, I mean, I give, I honor him. You know, he stayed in touch with me, just checking to see how we were doing. And one night I decided, hey, I'll just take the risk and tell him hey, this isn't working. We're probably going to need to look for another place. Can you pray for us? And without hesitation, he said, we haven't filled your position. Do you want to come back? Not only did they bring me back, they brought me back and made me the associate pastor. And they gave me a raise.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
2: So I was there for another three years. And I will tell you, it was It was one of the most um, real expressions of the grace of God that I've ever seen. Because, I mean, I was humbled. You know, I I left thinking I knew everything. Mm -hmm. I'm coming back realizing I don't know anything. And yet you give me a raise and give me um, an an elevated position. Yeah, that... (laughs) Uh, That was a tangible understanding of God's grace that uh, I'm thankful
0: for. So now in in your position now where you're district superintendent, corporate VP, you've kind of got a higher elevation view of churches and ministries. Uh, Do you see that happening in other churches and other pastors that sort of— Grace, you received then not only on the front end, hey, let's create a position because we believe in you, but the coming back. do you see that i, I mean i don't I don't really even know the right question to yeah. ask there, but
2: yeah i don't I don't know that I see the coming back as much um but what I do see as a as a lot and i can and, and i I can speak for our district of what I've seen um I see a lot of places where where pastors are saying, "Hey, we believe in you. Uh, we don't know where this is going to lead, but why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you join us?" You know, uh, sometimes that looks like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna have to get a, a, a job outside of the church, but we're gonna we're gonna create something in here so that we can invest in you and see where God is see where God is leading." Sometimes it looks like a combination you know, uh of things. But I, I do see that happening and that that's encouraging. It is very encouraging.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I just know my trajectory in ministry, uh, probably traditional. You know, if I map it out in its very base sense, it was uh internships, undergrad grad school, youth pastor, associate pastor, you know? So it's uh, sort of like, yeah, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm the <laughs> doing doing the thing. Um, and that that approach of, of church is not just saying, hey, we have a position, let's fill it, but saying we have a person, mm-hmm. you know, let's invest in them, let's whatever it takes. I mean, I, that to me is so beautiful and really... What I hope is as I mature in ministry that I'm have that vision and foresight to be able to, to look at whether it's people I'm in touch with or people growing up in our own church Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, I want, I want to keep you or I, I I believe in you and, and we'll do what we can to realize that call in your life. That's so clear.
2: Yeah. And, and, and realizing with that, that means you have to be prepared to let somebody fail and learn. And that, that, that second word and learn Mm -hmm. is key. Uh, again, I look back, I look at it and, and, and Clyde Davis wasn't the only one. The next place I went in, in uh, Pittsburgh, that was that we were there for 12 years. I mean, 12 great years. Even that senior pastor, Rock Dillman gave me space to grow, stretch expand fail and then both of them would say things okay so what do we need to change what what needs to happen it wasn't just let's let's let you fail but now let's help you grow not even so much so that you don't repeat that again but that you learn from it and go to the next next space I think that's something that that has to be a part of how we develop people. Otherwise, what we get are people who do things either just like we do them and they, you know, and then when when we're not around, they don't know what to do or we just say, well, you're not competent and we don't give them the opportunity to develop the competency. And I and I realize it's a dance, you know. You you can't you gotta have competency because you gotta move things forward. But even with that competency, there's gotta be room for development. You gotta help people grow and expand. And recognizing a call on somebody's life and giving them a spot somewhere. <laughs> in the church to let that that call grow and develop is you know that's our call as pastors whether we and sometimes i think we we miss that and i learned it from from these two men and others who have who have invested in me we're called to equip people for the works of ministry you, you can't equip unless you give space to grow and expand and develop
0: so that's a great thought let me turn that to, you know, just ask you about your story some more uh-huh. other than that, you know, that pretty big, Hey, we left and come back moment. Is there anything that you remember from your early years of ministry that you experienced that, uh, fail and grow, hmm. you know, anything particular moments you remember where, cause I, I can, I can think of one and this one's very simple. I was at, I was doing a, year long sort of apprenticeship Mm -hmm. we'll call it uh, the year before I got married and started seminary and our church was doing this large uh, fundraising campaign. We were going to launch a multi-site thing and uh, oh, let's get Matt, (laughs) the 22, 23 year old um, fresh out of college to administrate it.
2: Mm. And
0: I've never administrated anything. I can't even like, if you talk to my wife, you know, she'd, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know our bank account numbers and stuff, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, if without, without help, I'm totally, <laughs> I'm swimming in the ocean. Like where's the land? But, uh, but I was asked to administrate it. And part of it we were doing, we were hosting a bunch of little, uh, like dinners where people were invited to come in here and, and then asked, Hey, give us your money now. And <laughs> I was supposed to set up this dinner with volunteers and some staff but I was also going on vacation that week and I was in California and I had the one guy ready and I didn't get anyone else to help him. I thought he was, I didn't communicate clearly. And I remember getting a call at 4am in California cause it was in Connecticut. Oh yeah. You know, the time difference, Matt, there's no one here. And like, Oh, I'm in California, you know? <laughs> so that was like a, a fail and learn moment. Oh, don't let your, leave your volunteers out to dry, you know, yeah. and make sure you communicate clear and all that. So that just one thing from my life, but anything, uh, any stories or those fail and grow, increase the competency. Yeah. Development.
2: Um, yeah, I had been on staff at the church in Pittsburgh. I was a worship pastor. I've been there on staff for about two years by this point. point, two years, maybe about two or three years. I'd say, and um, every year there was, you know, this Christmas production that involved the whole choir or an Easter production that involved the whole choir, the whole group. Well, this year I decided let's do something different. Let's, you know, I'll put together a small ensemble. We'll, you know, put a, a big drama kind of thing together. Um, without realizing how important it was to communicate ahead of time. What was changing? Why it was changing? Why I was handpicking people rather than selecting people. And it made sense because the style that we were using was more gospel. So I needed certain voices, certain sounds. Um, Why I was going that way. And hey, if this doesn't work this year, we can always go back to something else. Well, I just went to work and put the group together, started working on everything. And then word gets back to the larger group that we're not doing what we would normal normally do. And he's put this, you know, this group of special people together. And I still remember the uh, (laughs) the choir practice where a choir member said, so what exactly are we doing for Easter? And I could tell by the tension in the room I had made a huge mistake. (laughs) So I just said, "Okay, let's uh, let's talk about this next week. Let's continue the practice for tonight. (laughs) <laughs> basically left practice and I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? Because it was clear <laughs> yeah. this was a problem. Yeah, And I just went back the following week. I said, okay, I used to have these, I uh, just call them fireside, fireside chats. All right, it's time for a fireside chat. I just admit it. I messed up. I didn't communicate well. And you didn't get it. You didn't get an understanding of what it was we're trying to do. And it's all part of the bigger vision that we've been casting for these past couple of years. But communication is so important. And the only thing I, the only thing I do was just own it Mm. and ask their forgiveness. And we moved on from it and things went well. Interestingly enough, and this I didn't expect the choir member who asked that question came up to me and apologized. Who? She said, uh, that's big. She said, As soon as I asked it, I knew it was wrong for me to ask that that way. And uh, so I, I mean, of course you're forgiven. I'm sorry, you know. I, I, but I think part of that growth period was that's when I'm starting to learn. You gotta, you gotta own your mistakes and admit them, so that you can move forward. You know. Mm. So. That's just one example.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also find, I also find admitting mistakes that you don't necessarily think you made, you know, like just owning saying, I'm sorry to people, even when you don't, you don't believe you've made a mistake is super important in the church. Yeah. You know, you're pretty good to argue about who's right and wrong. You know, we're, we're about people. Yeah. And, just saying, oh, that's my fault and, and shouldering those, those things, even when they're not your fault, is uh, on the, I think for anybody, but especially on the pastoral end, can be a very powerful tool to keep people believing and wanting to be a part yeah. of your life and what you're doing.
2: Like a phrase I've been, I've come to um, use and appreciate because it, it really does make a difference to people is, yeah, but it happened on my watch. Even if it wasn't my fault, it happened on my watch, and I just want you to know that we're looking out for this, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do our best to make it right. Um. Yeah. People people appreciate that, you know, and and then extend grace.
1: Yeah. So. So you spend some time in these two first churches that you that was vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. I am very interested in the story of how you got where you are now. So, uh-huh. so when you got that first job, uh-huh. you mentioned you were already married, but how old? Were you? Well, actually I did, I got mad. I was 22
2: and yeah. I didn't get married until a year later. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, my wife and my journey has been interesting I was gonna say mostly, but all my fault uh, <laughs> on, um,
0: on your watch, you might say yeah on my watch <laughs> uh
2: and yet she she still loved me and still uh, hung on until I finally realized uh, this is this is the woman what am i what am I playing around here for anyhow uh so I was twenty two then um uh was there for the for the 6 years uh started at that other church when i was 20 uh, 28 and was there for 12 years uh and then went to went back to my alma mater Nyack college as the campus pastor for another 6 years which uh which was great i i enjoyed it I enjoyed it but when i when i kind of sensed that yeah, my time is coming to an end here. Um, there was a church across the river from Nyack that was looking for a senior pastor. I had preached there occasionally when the when the pastor was out of town. And, uh, and so I was there the morning they were announcing that they were looking for a new pastor. The pastor had moved to another church. And as I'm sitting there uh, in that service and they're making this announcement, I just got this This sense that, you know, God was saying to me, put your resume in. So here I go, put my resume in and ended up that that was in March, September of that year. I was being installed as a new pastor. So I was there for six years. And while I was there, um, the district uh, uh, superintendent of of the metro district where I I serve now, uh, his term limit had come to come to was coming to an end and uh got a call from the from the committee asking me if I would consider putting my resume in as they were as they were receiving resumes uh and I did the you know the Christian thing yeah let me pray about it (laughs) inside I'm going nah, I'm just not interested but I do, I do, I do have to say that I, there was something where I felt like I, I, before I absolutely say no, I really need to pray about this. And I remember saying to the Lord, you know, um, God, I'm not interested in this thing. And if you're in this, you're going to have to give me vision for it. Cause I have none. And I had a month. Uh, so I'm, I've been, you know, was diligent in praying Nothing, nothing, nothing. A week before the deadline ends, I'm in a meeting with another organization. They had put together a think tank to help them uh, brainstorm on what, you know, what their vision should be and things like that. And as I'm sitting in that meeting, uh, I get this phrase. And then all of a sudden, what looked like to me, like a scroll of stuff just kind of downloading, and I'm going, this has no connection here. And all of a sudden, I was, oh, you're giving me vision for this, aren't you, God? <laughs> so I had to take out my phone yeah. while I'm trying to help them and just start writing stuff down. And I this is a week before everything's due. And uh, just, just ask God, what. okay, so if you're giving me vision for this, what's what's going to happen? This is the only thing he would say to me. He would just, he just ask me a question. Do I have your yes, no matter what the outcome is. Do I have your yes, no matter what the outcome is. So I put everything together and sent it in. Didn't, um, and really didn't realize or, or fully know until I was at the district conference where the election was taking place. I didn't have this sense of, yep, um, This is where God, this is where God has me. Um, And, and I love it. Uh, I enjoy what I do. You know, all of the things involved
1: in it, I enjoy what I do.
2: So that's kind of the journey.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm for some reason fascinated by, you know, you asking God, not like make it clear if I'm supposed to do this, but like, give me a vision for it. Mm hmm. I don't know why. I just think that's a great way to think about it because often for me, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have this decision, this decision. I'm like, all right, God, like show me, yeah, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cause I have no idea rather than, yeah. What's, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I
2: I don't, I will have to say, even with the very first job that I had, though, I was still just even under trying to begin to understand what vision was all about and everything. There's been, um, There's never been a time in my life where, uh, I didn't go somewhere and didn't have vision for it. And I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but I, I, I just believe if I, if I don't have vision for something, I shouldn't be even pursuing it. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair to the, the organization or the church or wherever it is. Um, I don't think it's fair to my family because then it just becomes a job and it's not, you know, I've, we've always been the kind of family as we're going to follow God's call. We're going to follow God's call. And as I follow God's call, at least has been my experience. He gives me vision for why this place or why this position, this was the first time, even, even the church that I, that I, that I, uh, Uh, went to as a senior pastor, I had vision the minute I walked into the interview and we were sitting, I was sitting in the interview and they were saying, well, you know, obviously you're not here yet. If, if you were to be the senior pastor, you know, do you have any idea of what you, I said, interestingly enough, and I handed out paper (laughs) with things written down because God had given me vision I think for me, having vision for something doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to end up there. It just says to me, this is why my name should be in the mix. And if at the end of the day, God says that's not it, I'm okay with that. But to put my name in the mix somewhere and I don't have vision for the position or the place or anything... Uh, to me, that 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 wastes the church's time. That wastes God's time. It wastes my, you know. So that's that's why it's always been the case for me.
1: I like that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you, Kelvin, but I think you just answered it. You know, from the outside, or just from from the non, we'll say, for, through the eyes of someone who might not believe God is totally sovereign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get an offer, hey, will you let your name stand to be the next district superintendent? That's a, that's a ladder climb. And from the outside, that's what that looks like right here. Oh, you're moving up the, why, why would you say no to something like that? But I think you just answered that question. Yeah. yeah. It's, why
2: would I say yes to yeah. it if I don't have vision for it? I, just, just think about that. We have 130 churches in the Metropolitan District. Why would I say yes to leading 130 churches if I don't have vision for what God wants to do in that district? I don't think that's fair to those pastors. It's certainly not fair to the people who work in the office, because the first thing they're asking is, what's your vision? That's going to determine for them, am I going to be on your team or not? I don't. By God's grace, I am where I am. by God's grace, I am who I am. But I can honestly say position and prestige has never impressed me because if I'm sitting in this seat and it's just a job, I'm wasting time. And I think there, I think there's more to do in the kingdom than just waste time. Uh, and if I could, and I, I do that with even in the people on my team. You know, I want to know that they've got vision for their role. You know, we want to make sure that the visions align. <laughs> but if I close the door after we're t- we've talked and you've got nothing, that just doesn't work. You have to be as passionate about what you do as I am about bringing you on the team. That means you got to have vision for what, what, what lies ahead. And then my role becomes jumping in on your team and championing you so you can carry that vision out. But if you have no vision, I have
0: nothing to champion. So. So you've got vision for this district superintendent thing. You've got passion for it. You love what you do. You've mentioned that. So let me ask, uh, what do you do? <laughs> what does it mean to be a district superintendent in the Christian Missionary Alliance?
2: Uh, it means, I mean, it means a lot of things. Uh, number one, uh, it's not necessarily saying to, to all the churches, you have to abandon what God has given you as a vision for your local setting and just jump on board with, you know, what I believe God's saying. But it does mean, Uh, saying to the district as a whole, hey, at the end of the day, when we look at the metro district, whatever it is that you're doing in your local uh, communities, there are some characteristics of things that we want to see in our in our metro churches uh, so that people who come in uh, can say, oh, wow, this is what God is doing in this region, it may look different in the Bronx than it does in Medford, New Jersey, but this is what God is doing in this region. That's why everyone's investing in this region. That's why we're all getting on board here. So that's, that's one of the things that I do. Uh, we, we help churches who are in situations where they are either re- uh, declining or kind of at this recline, resting place. How do you, how do you move forward? Uh, how do you get revitalized uh, churches that are growing? How do you continue in that growing trajectory, but not just growing? How do you, how do they grow in a healthy way so that the church is healthy? We, we plant new church, you know, we plant new churches. Um, we, we help people get engaged in uh, local and worldwide missions, um, uh, leadership development, how do we help? How do we help our official workers, uh, the licensed workers, grow and develop in their leadership skills? Um, there are things that uh, you know you don't like. Um, uh, some sometimes administration. Uh, always administration. Always administration. If it's, if it's me, yeah. You know, sadly, if there's a situation where you got to go in and and bring correction, you don't you don't like those things. Mm-hmm. But that's all that's all part of it, you know. So it's a variety of things.
1: Yeah, I gotta I, ask. Can I ask a question? Yeah, it goes a little. <laughs> it goes a little left. It goes a little left, but not really. So we t- we're talking a lot about vision. What happened the last two years for you? How with COVID, things shutting down, all this stuff, ha- has that vision changed? Was that a wake up call at uh, all for you? Like, you know, like and. It, I feel like the common conversation in churches when COVID hit was like, Oh, new opportunity. You know what I mean? What did that look like from your position?
2: Got it. Interestingly enough, a phrase that became a part of, of our district from day one, this is even before everything that happened in 2020. Um, was we've never walked this way before. For some reason, that just became the phrase, we've never walked this way before. We're just leaning into what God is doing because we've never walked this way before. So when, so when COVID hit, we were already in this mode of we've never walked this way before. We have no choice but to pivot and pivot quickly. So it didn't it didn't change the vision and the mission and the values that that we felt the Lord had given us in the district. It just meant uh, we had to be available to help churches pivot quickly so that there was still uh, momentum in the midst of it. You know, we had a lot of churches that weren't online. What was wonderful was that churches that were helped the churches that weren't and everybody did it together. Uh, we had churches that didn't have um, online giving of any sort. Churches that did help the churches that didn't. And the district office stepped in and helped churches. So it didn't it didn't change vision. It didn't necessarily change mission. It caused us to pivot so that we could take care of things. As everybody knows, there was all kinds of things that happened, you know, uh, all kinds of well. we should, you know, we should do it this way. We should all wear masks. We are not wearing masks. We should all do, you know, that kind of stuff. And from a district perspective, we just simply said, listen, we're not in your local areas. Follow what your local areas are doing. Be safe. But if you're asking us, is it biblical to, to wear masks, is it unbiblical all those things, Listen, we're, not, we're not getting into that discussion. What we need to do is remember that the gospel footprint needs to expand. And we've now been given an opportunity for that expansion to continue in a different way. We've never walked this way before. Let's lean into that and see what Jesus is doing. So.
0: Yeah. I I keep hearing or seeing blogs and posts and stuff, uh, you know, popular Christian authors and writers and thinkers say, oh, the future of the church looks different. Uh, churches who don't make these changes are going to be shutting down. You know, what's, if you can project three years from now, who knows? What do you think the future of the local church looks like? Is it? different is it digital more so than now or do you see us holding on to the the ancient and established i identifiers practices Mm -hmm. as they've been
2: i think we spend so much time trying to predict that that we miss something that is key even in the individualistic society in which we live, people crave community. So I don't know that, I don't know that I believe everything is going to be digital. I do think there's a shift that's, that's, that's definitely happened and we need to lean into it. Um, but as we lean into it, uh, I think we got to lean into it with community in mind, because even at the even in the shift of, it, of digital, there's still people who want to connect. Um, so this idea that it's all going to look this way, I, I don't know that I buy it. I think we've got to keep this. Both and kind of. Mix going. Um, because let's say it all shifts digitally, <laughs> that 's only going to last for so long. then there's going to be another shift so i I don 't know i i I think we've got to think about how do we best keep community going for people and I don't I don't see it as options because people want options. I see it as uh options because people want
0: community. And finding a way to make community when just day to day life has looked so,
1: it's so different yep. than previous. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it as well.
0: I wanna we gotta c I think we're coming to the end of our time here. I want to end on a one question, a uh, personal question for you. Okay. Unless you Unless have I end after he ends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> and this is a pivot from where we're at. Again, uh, you know, we like to just keep throwing curveballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: What a storyline here. <laughs> but,
0: but Kelvin, music has been such a big part of your life. You were a worship pastor, you studied music, you, you know, you've taught music in the classroom. Uh what what does music look like what role does it play in your life and ministry uh now given that your I don't know your roles are so varied and different
1: hmm.
0: what does music look like for you now
2: I thought uh I thought music was done but in almost every setting I'm in somewhere along the line I find myself heading over to the keyboard for Either a closing song, or it's part of the message, or or you know somewhere it, it's still it's still a very active part of my life. It just looks different. Um, and on the one hand, I'm really glad about that. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes it makes it a little difficult because I don't know. Hey, do I want to be you know, DS today? Do I wanna be the pastor today? Or do I wanna be you know it um but yeah, it's still it's still an active part of my life. It just looks different. Yeah. So
1: Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna end this off here. Um <laughs> what are you excited about and where are you headed? What is there anything in the future that excites you? Um But yeah, where what's next? Yeah. What's next for you? Oh. Uh.
2: What's next for me? Um,
1: Other than men's breakfast tomorrow morning. Yeah, men's breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
2: again, what's next for me is just leaning into what's ahead for me right now, where I am right now. What excites me is the opportunity that God is giving me to uh, to identify and build into the next generation of leaders. I um, I think what I've learned from those who have been my leaders is that leadership if it's if it's anything, leadership is about empowerment. And if I'm not if I'm not looking for the next person to empower and release, then I'm not necessarily doing a huge part of what leadership is all about. So it excites me that while we have um, a variety of ages on the leadership team in our district office, uh, a good portion, maybe 50 percent more of that age group are people who are under 40. That excites me. Uh, I just got back literally um, uh, got we got home last night before we left this morning from four days with um, with leaders in our district who are uh, either assistant or associate pastors who have just finished the ordination consecration process. And we want to see them uh, go to the next level, because sometimes when you get through that process, it's like, okay, I'm done. you know, I I got it done. I can breathe. And what we're, what we're saying to them is, no, this is actually just the beginning. So we spent, we have two cohorts that we're working with now. Those kinds of things excite me because, you know, then you get to build in and then you get to help empower and then stand back and watch what God does.
0: Yeah. Right on brother. I mean, that is so awesome. Um, our time's up. Thank wow. you. Yeah. This Thank has been good.
2: I've yeah. really enjoyed it. Thank and you for asking me to do we've it.
0: We've enjoyed having you. And uh, we knew you were coming to speak this weekend. And I I said to Cam, I was like, I'm going to reach out to Kelvin. Just throw it out there and see if he'd you be willing to, to join us. And you said yes. And I'm, we're so stoked. So we're thankful for the conversation. Thanks for sharing your stories and, and uh, why you're in ministry and so much more, Kelvin. Uh, grateful for this conversation. And uh, if you're listening, this is Learning to Talk. Follow us on Instagram at Learn to Talk Podcast, and we'll see you with our next episode, hopefully really soon. Learning to Talk Podcast was produced by Six Five Films in Burlington, Vermont. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you find us on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify and like, comment, subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Learn to Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll See you again soon.